Hello, welcome to the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast and a start of a very special series. This is Wendy without John. Tonight, I am joined by my very good friend, Ann Tompkinson, who is helping me with this uh, very special series, which uh, I'm calling HR Wonder Women. Let's, let's stick around with that superhero theme. So Anne and I want to introduce you to some really great women that we think you need to know. And we got this idea during SHRM 18 when Anne had shared her uh, thought process for how she was selecting the breakout sessions during the conference. So Anne, tell us a little bit about um, what you did and how you came up with that idea. Thank you, Wendy, and thank you for letting me be a part of this podcast. I'm really excited about this new series that we're embarking on. Uh, At SHRM 18, I was thinking about, you know, you sit there and you go through the schedule and there's 8 million things you want to see and and, and 8 million speakers and they're all happening at the same time. And I I was thinking, how am I going to narrow this down and and make some decisions that are going to so that the conference could be the most impactful for me as possible. And one of the things I started thinking about is just when it comes to diversity and thinking about the different voices that we hear, I've been making, um, I've been challenging myself to read authors of color, women authors, and just to get a different voice in what I'm reading. And I thought, well, let me do this at the conference as well. So I made the decision that I was only going to go to hear speakers who were either women or people of color. Um, And parenthetically, when I go to the SHRM Diversity and Inclusion Conference in October, I'm going to try to only hear women of color presenters at that conference and see if it's doable. But yeah, I mean, that's what it was, is that I want to make sure not to diss the white men out there who have great things to say, but that tends to be what we hear. There's just, there's a lot more of them. They've been speaking for a long time. And I thought, I want to see if I can get to this entire conference only listening to women and people of color. And I did it and it was fantastic. And I heard some great speakers, um, our guest being one of them. Awesome. And and I think that's so important. Um, I was talking with someone else about that just yesterday where, you know, the, the women of color, that voice is out there, but it's probably the quietest right now. And so if there are things that, that you and I, Anne, can do to help elevate those voices, then, you know, yep, we, we really want to do that. And so those are the type of people that we're going to be looking to bring on to this special podcast. Um, our goal is one episode a month, so we're not overly challenging ourselves here. <laughs> but... If you, listeners, if you know someone that we need to bring on because we need to meet them and maybe we don't know them yet, please um, tweet us and let us know um, who, we need to, who we need to talk to so we can, again, elevate these awesome voices uh, so more of them are heard. So, Anne, let's go ahead and get started tonight. And why don't you kick off by introducing our first guest? I would love to do that. So our guest tonight is Margaret Spence. Uh, She is one of those wonderful women of color that I listened to uh, present at SHRM 18. Uh, Margaret is the founder of the Employee to CEO Project and the CEO of C. Douglas & Associates. She is a transformational keynote speaker, author, business strategist, executive leadership coach, and visionary trailblazer. Margaret has 30 years experience inspiring organizations to value talent, 
Engaging employees in a shared vision, creating inclusive initiative, and fostering collaboration across silos are the tenets of her work. She's a leading expert in talent development, diversity and inclusion, and a vocal advocate for the effective development of women and millennial leaders. Determined to create a glide path for diversity and inclusion in executive leadership, Margaret launched the Employee to CEO Project, a global initiative aimed at increasing the representation of women with specific emphasis on minority women in C-level leadership roles. She is on a mission to upend the dismal number of women in the executive suite by empowering women to embrace leadership roles. Margaret's journey to the executive suite was non-traditional. She began her career managing workplace injuries and consequently observed injured employees being discarded from the workforce. From a catapulting question written on a napkin in 1999, her company, C. Douglas & Associates, currently manages human resources, oversight functions, workplace injury compliance, and a claims loss portfolio valued at over $95 million for its multinational Fortune 500 client base. Margaret has authored three books. Her latest book, Leadership Self-Transformation, 52 Career-Defining Questions Every High-Achieving Woman Must Answer, challenges women to clarify their vision, pivot from expert to leader, and build the career they want. The opening chapter of her book asks women two simple questions. What do you want and why don't you have it now? Margaret will captivate you to move beyond your comfort zone to building the career and life you want. So that is a really impressive biography. And I, all of those things, I mean, but all of those things speak to me. Having heard you speak several times at Sherm conferences, um, I can say that those are true. I, I leave every workshop that I attend for, with you feeling really inspired and having tangible questions to ask myself, to challenge myself, uh, to think about how I'm going to make a difference in my own life and in the lives of the people that I work with. So I am going to jump right into questions. Margaret, what are the problems or challenges that women face in becoming leaders? Well, thank you both, um, Wendy, for having me on the podcast today. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, so the challenge, um, how, about if we, how about if we not necessarily call them challenges? They are like gigantic concrete roadblocks. I call it that. <laughs> I think the biggest obstacle for women is self-confidence, recognizing that you can be a leader. That is the biggest obstacle that I see outside of, you know, they're not letting me in or I can't get that role or I've applied a million times and I'm still not getting promoted. All of that is sort of the, the noise that occurs. But I think the bigger issue is women feeling confident and that they are enough within themselves to take on a leadership role. I love that. I, I love how you're, you know, it's not just a challenge, it's a roadblock. And, uh, having the confidence to overcome that, there's a, a lot to say in that. So, uh, Margaret, how can HR help lead the way to develop these women as leaders? You know, I, I just spoke at HR Florida, and one of the things that I said to the group there was, we have to know who women are. One of the challenges that I see right now is we build leadership development programs, but we have no idea who the women are that we're putting into the programs. We have no idea who they are. No one, I've been in HR for years. You both have been in HR. How many times has any HR leader sat down with a group of women and said, tell me what you would like us to develop and what would you like us to prepare you for so you're ready for leadership? That question is never asked. 
we go out, we'll buy canned programs, we'll put them together, we'll have our own meetings, we'll decide what's going to be great within a leadership development program. And as I said at, at Sherm 18, right now, I can't think of one leadership development program that's written by a woman, a woman for women. I can name you mm. dozen leadership development programs that's written for men that we ask women to go through. And it's two different dichotomies. It's two different worlds. It's two different areas and two different developmental tracks. And not that I'm saying that women are so special that we need a special program because that's what people will hear. That's really not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. Corn Ferry released a study that basically said of the women that have become executives, 90, probably 98% of them never thought about applying for a senior leadership role until someone told them that they were duly qualified for that role. They never applied. Wow. So if that's what I'm dealing with, that's the who, okay? How am I going to develop a program and say, hey, I've got a women's leadership development program. Come on down. How am I going to do that? When the reality is, I don't even feel confident that I can be a leader. Mm -hmm. I don't feel confident that I can go beyond the supervision. Let's say I've been promoted to supervisor, but I may never even think I could become executive director or I could become division president. Um, if I can't move off of the first promotion and feel so good about myself that I'm capable and you've built a program that I'm supposed to go into an Excel, how does that happen? It doesn't happen. So the key for me is getting HR to understand that the question we must ask is who are the women that work for us? What do they want for their career? And what was the vision that that woman had at the door? Because this is the thing. When we applied for the jobs that we have right now, we had lofty ideas in our head about where this job could take us. We had all kinds of thoughts when we got hired. You know, oh my gosh, I'm going to go work for XYZ company. And I could see myself being, you know, division president in two years. Then we get to work. We start our jobs. Five years later, the original thought that we had in our head when we got to the door is gone. We've picked up all of the illusions and delusions and all the other things that go along with it. <laughs> and right. we've forgotten who we are. So, so for HR, we, we have to go back to fundamentals. Who do we have in our workforce? What do they want? Where do we want to see them? How are we going to champion them? What is the process to get them there? And what's the missing component, including the soft skills? It, that's wonderful, right? I mean, it goes back almost to the first question, which what are the, the problems or challenges or roadblocks is if the roadblock is that women lack confidence, then a first way to start to develop them is to figure out what it is that they need here to get the confidence, the confidence in their own actual ability. Um, and that's not a false confidence. That's confidence in what they can actually do. I think our own negative self-talk is so often our enemy. Yeah, it which, is. It is. Right. So thinking about that, Thinking about, you know, HR's role in helping to develop women and really asking women those questions and, and figuring out what it is they want and need. Maybe this is a roadblock question again, but what are the unique challenges that women in HR face? The three of us are women. The three of us are in HR. How does that work to develop, you know, I need to develop the women in my company as leaders, but I need to be developed as a leader. So what kind of challenge do women in HR face being both the one doing the developing and the one being developed? Okay. So this is a loaded one. And here, <laughs> this one is fully, fully loaded. One of the biggest, I don't want to say it, it's, it's, it's 
probably my own personal view. So let me, let me put it that way. When I'm talking with HR practitioners, there's a whole subset of us that will say, I'm an HR generalist. I'm a generalist. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out of all the years I've been doing this, when did we take on that title of generalist? And when did we wrap our arms around it so tightly that we can't see ourselves anywhere else other than being a generalist? One of the things that I've really seen firsthand, and let me back up a tiny bit. When the economy went south, there's a group of us here in South Florida, and specifically one member, his name is Mike Powers, and he started this HR in transition program. And the goal was to get um, senior level practitioners to work with HR managers and and, uh, directors who had been laid off due to the down economy. And I quickly realized that HR, while we can hire folks, we have a struggle and a hard time promoting ourselves and being here. Yes, we do. We, we are great at bringing people in the door, but man, oh man, when we have to find a job for ourselves, it is a absolute challenge. I, I've worked with people who have not put their qualifications on a resume, who've eliminated their degrees, who've not put the level of dollar value of what they were managing for organizations. I think as HR, we get in the tunnel. We know that we're people processors. We get people in the door. We're, we're here to you know maintain compliance for our organization. We put our heads down, we do the job, and we totally forget to lift our heads up, look out into the horizon, and see that HR can take us other places. And those of us who embrace the generalist role miss an opportunity to become an expert and a thought leader within their organization in one subject area. I'm going Mm -hmm. to be expert in compliance, and I'm going to be seen as the compliance expert in HR, not a generalist. I'm going to be specific because when you are specific, you're not eliminated. When you are specific, people see you in additional roles outside of HR. Here's the key factor. Of the Fortune 500 companies or Fortune 1000 companies, not many people become the CEO coming out of HR. That's true. But Mm -hmm. HR is often the place where women end up. We end up there. It's a nice Mm -hmm. place. We can become the VP of HR and we will be the only woman on the team as a VP of HR. And we'll look around and go, oh God, I'm there. And forgetting (laughs) very the the realistic view that you're the only one there. So it's it's a trifecta with HR. We tend to be really good at taking on our role and really not that great at managing our career strategically. We are great at managing the people process but we're not great at seeing our importance above the role of HR. And the third leg of it is we will get to the pinnacle of I'm the VP of HR. I'm the top person at the top. And we will recognize that we're the only woman there, but we may not be willing and able to advocate effectively because we are the silent voice in the room that's drowned out by a lot of men. Yeah. <laughs> so just nod my head. Yeah. That's that. and that's, so true. How often do we just, you know, oh, look at all these guys. I, I need to just keep quiet, speak up. <laughs> Which, 
you know, this really goes into to the next question too. And um, Anne talked about it a little bit in the in your bio. You have created a employee to CEO project um, program consulting option. Um, tell us a little bit. I'm you know I'm going to guess there's some of what you talked about already of le what led you to start the program, and what are some of the things that you yourself have learned since you've been working with people doing this. So I'll tell you what got me started. I was, um, I've been in workers' comp risk management and corporate compliance for a number of years. And I was speaking at a conference in Minnesota and a young lady came up to me after the conference. She's a, a young attorney, an Asian American attorney. And she said, you know, do you have a few minutes? And I said, sure, no problem. And I pulled aside, we eventually sat down and she started talking to me about her work environment. And she worked for a law firm. Her boss was very prominent in the area and she was one of two women on his team. And he made it very known to her that she was not important, that her role was to be in the background. Her role was never going to be in front of his clients and building her own client base. He saw her as a junior attorney. He told her multiple times that she would not be anything other than a junior attorney. And um, she felt trapped because if she left him, his firm, she thought if she left and went to another firm, he would blackball her in the community that she lived in. And she didn't have a way out for her career. I spent probably two hours, a little bit more than two hours talking to her and talking her off the wall pretty much around <laughs> career. And I thought, you know, this is one woman, but she's one of dozens that come up to me after every event. And the events I'm speaking on has nothing to do with a woman or woman leadership. It, it has everything to do with, you know, HR compliance and, you know, as the EEOC knocking at your door and so on and so forth. It has nothing to do with women in the workplace. And fast forward, I was working with a client and the client said to me, VP of HR, I were walking in to have a meeting with the president of the organization. And she said to me, Margaret, do you think that you can speak to my boss? And do you think you're capable of speaking to my boss? And I thought, dear Lord, this is your insecurities jumping out. <laughs> nothing to do with me. I am perfectly capable of talking to your boss. And you know, I, I just, and I said to her, listen, he puts his pants on just like I do, one leg at a time. And, you know, <laughs> not that scary to talk to. But what I realized when I went into that boardroom, I was the only African-American woman in there. She was the only other woman in the boardroom. There were 25 men on the board of this um, Fortune 1000 corporation. She went into child mode. She sounded like she was a two-year-old. And she had this mm. wide voice. And the men eventually drowned her out. I went in with both feet forward and I was just, you know, laying it out to them and taking them on toe to toe. And she sat there and said, I have no idea how you got that skill. Cause every time I come in here, they intimidate me. And out of all of that, and then coupled with the fact that I'm in some major corporations across the country and I don't see any women and I don't see any African-American women. And I thought there's gotta be a better way. And so I've sort of upended my business because this has become a passion that's taken me over. My team is working on my compliance work and I still have clients in that area, but I feel pretty comfortable that I can leave that 50% or more to devote myself to the employee to CEO project. And my singular goal right now is to empower women to not land in the position that they walked in the door for their organization, to get there, recognize that's the end where am I going? 
Where's this job leading me? What's my intention? Where am I taking my career? What's that going to look like? Um, within the Employee to CEO project, I've lost, launched a subset actually, um, last week called 10X Leadership, which are leadership development soft skills courses for women. And we are um, actually putting together some strategic courses like branding, branding for the career you want, building a vision for where you want to go, working through your insecurities, all of those things that the, the canned leadership development programs do not address. They don't address those skills. And so I'm, I am beyond passionate right now about getting out there, telling people about this, letting them understand that where you start out is not where you should end up. And your career is not defined or bracketed between the day you got hired and the day you retire. It's not bracketed there. It, this, is a, this is a journey. Take it where, where it needs to go. And we all have these phenomenal gifts that we were born with, and then we bury them because we're so caught up in the jobs we have and the positions and so on that we forget who we are and what we wanted. So the goal is to ask the question, what do we want? Why don't we have it now? Those questions are so powerful. I've, I have personally been spending a lot of time recently thinking about those questions. So this is all a great segue to, to the next question. One of the things that you said at SHRM 18, and you were talking about empowering women as leaders, that really challenged me that I've been kind of meditating on since Chicago is that we shouldn't be thinking about bringing women up to our level, but growing women as leaders beyond where we ourselves are at. So can you talk some more about that? Yeah, and the, the point I made at, at SHRM 18 was, how often are we willing to see a woman that has so much potential, especially a man, seeing a woman with so much potential that could climb beyond where he or she is. So as a woman, I will to bring a woman above me. And as a man, am I willing to pivot a woman who may end up becoming my boss? This is the, the key thing. Let me, let me give you a little, a little tiny history. We started out this year with 32 or 34 women CEOs in the Fortune 500 space. We currently have 22. So we aren't going forward. We're going backwards. Of the women who have left, um, Ursula Burns in Noy is leaving PepsiCo in October. October 3rd is her last day. And she is, again, my hero from a CEO standpoint. She's being replaced by a man. Um, Ursula Burns was replaced by a man. The, when a woman gets the CEO job, she is always replaced by a man. However, when these women became CEOs, it was generally a woman that groomed them into the position. What happened at Xerox? Ursula Burns had followed her career. She's an amazing woman, um, was the first African-American CEO, African-American woman CEO. Wow. Um, she was groomed over 20 years to become the CEO by a woman, her predecessor. She mm -hmm. left the space last year, 17, 18 months ago. She's been replaced by a man. Indira Noyes going out the door after 16 years of PepsiCo, she's being replaced by a man. Why is it that when we get to the table, we can't groom another woman so that she's standing hard in the place to take over from us? Because all, all that happens, and it's, this is an, an angry place for me, because if we make a game of three women forward and we lose five, we're getting nowhere. So one step forward, two steps back. <laughs> from an HR perspective, 
we have to be willing to see women for where they can go. And it doesn't matter if they are, what, whatever color they are, where is this woman going and can she go above me? And if she can go above me, how am I going to champion her to get there? And for men, being comfortable, because here's, here's an interesting thing that I said to the group on Monday. How many men are going to be willing to recommend a woman to step over him into a higher role and leave him in that same spot. It's never going to happen. And until we get where we are clear internally and we let our egos go and we look at people for their potential, we miss opportunity to empower everybody around us to move because it's not the job title, it's the potential. There's so much truth there. I, I love that. We do, we, we do, we spend too much time worried about titles and where has someone been? Rather, where can they go? Right. Where can they go? And we, we hire based on these job descriptions. I was, um, I was coaching a young lady at the conference around job description. And she said to me, well, I've applied for this new job, but I'm not qualified on paper. And I said, okay, someone sat down and wrote those qualifications that doesn't mean that you have to sit at your desk and line yourself up with those qualifications. Those qualifications are benchmarks in the sand that some HR person wrote down. <laughs> okay, an HR created this, but that is not who you are. Who you're, you are is what you're bringing to the table. Your tenacity, your drive, your ability to, to think on your feet, your ability to, to organize people to get the job done. That's the skill that we should be looking for. Instead, we look for, did you spend five years in accounting? Did you spend <laughs> four years in purchasing? Did you spend nine years in blah, blah, blah? And people go running around. They spend their whole life trying to check the box of this list of things that we gave them. It's anyway. Well, that's, that's a whole different situation in, as, as HR when we're building those job descriptions yes. to stop. And when a hiring manager says, I want someone with five years experience, say why? And when they say, well, by the time somebody has been doing this five years, they'll be able to do X, Y, Z and say, well, then you don't need five years of experience. You need someone who knows how to do X, Y, Z. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, and we're empowering people to be leaders. We need to look at them in that through those lens. Right. Oh, I right. love that. Well, Margaret, it is now time for everyone's favorite part of our show, the half hour question connection. Thanks. I did uh, just a little caveat. I did switch them up a little bit for this special series so that uh, we can get some very specific things out there. But our first question, one of the things we do at the social hour is try to connect people and help with networking. So tell us how networking has helped you in your career and what's been really effective for you um, as far as networking. I am not a great networker. I'll be honest. I'm going <laughs> to right there, put it out there. I am a, a, a total introvert. And so I get into this extrovert world and I can speak in front of an audience. I'm great. I'll, you know, do, make small talk. I'll do all that. But after that, I'm ready to go squirreling away. <laughs> um, but one of the key things about networking is not that I think that worked for me is not bouncing around the room, trying to meet everybody. It's picking one or two people, sticking with them, finding out who they are, making a connection, making a longer term connection. I went to a um, coaching conference in April, which was a weekend retreat. And we were forced to be in groups. And one of the things that I said to myself is, I'm, I'm going to network with everybody here. And then I'm going to figure out two or three people that I want to stay in touch with. That would be good for me to continue with. 
And then I reached out to those, it was actually four people. I reached out to them, made some connections. Three of them never called me back. One did. And she and I made a great connection. We've, we've actually become good friends out of that, that event. So I think the most effective thing for me is just not bouncing everywhere. Just, um, just going with the flow and finding the people that you connect with, that, you, that they resonate with you and you're really, really connecting with them you know? That, that makes total sense. And you know, I, I am an extrovert. And so I can walk into a room and be like, mm, great, 8 million people, I can talk to them all. But <laughs> there's a lot to be, there's so much to be said for going deep with a few people. And I think sometimes the word networking gets a bad rap because people think it's just shaking a bunch of hands. But that going deep with a few people, it's just there's a value to that that is missed. If your whole vision of networking is just the glad hands kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I'm the right. same, Margaret. I don't like networking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yet here I am putting it out there to meet people. I'm doing talks on how to network effectively and it's all about building relationships. So absolutely. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. And, and figuring out, you know, what your intention is when you get there. I love that. So Margaret, what women do you read or follow for professional insights? My Oh my gosh. My favorite, favorite person right now is Brene Brown. Brene Brown um, groupie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Brene Brown. I love what she says. Um, I, I actually have a quote on the wall in my bedroom. I have these um, ginormous white stickies that I put up and I listen to her every opportunity that I can. And I love the work that she's done around shame and around being vocal and around confidence and so on. So I, I absolutely love Renee Brown. And I'm excited because she's at Sherm next year. I know. I know. Yay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's awesome. I, I love, I mm-hmm. love her books and her yeah. TED Talks and her TED Talks. Yes. Yeah. Her TED Talks um, are really, really amazing. But she would be my... She is my all-time um, favorite person outside of Oprah. <laughs> well, of course. It's okay. Oprah. Yeah. And there's Oprah. And I could have said Oprah. And I'm like, eh, no, I said Brene Brown. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the question was women. So you can yes. say Brene Brown and Oprah. It's okay yeah. to have more than one. Yeah. Yes. So do you have uh, a favorite movie that features a strong female cast? Oh, my gosh. My favorite movie right now is Girls Trip. That is a great movie. Girls Trip is my absolute favorite movie right now. I laugh so hard, but you know, the movie could have been my life. It, it was just one of those things where, okay, I could see this, you know? Great, great. What about a favorite female musician or band? Well, you know, we just lost Aretha Franklin. She was just such, such, such a trailblazer. I, I love her and I love her music. Um, so I'm going to go with Aretha. Because just to honor Aretha, uh, you know, when I think about respect, that's it. Mm-hmm. There you <laughs> go. All right. So how about a favorite female protagonist in a book? Oh, my gosh. That's a hard one. Oh, wow. Mm. Can't think of one. Interesting. Mm. I, I'm going to venture to guess that you are not a huge fiction reader. I am not a huge fiction reader. Yeah. I, I probably read uh, a handful of fiction books, if any. Um, so mm-hmm. probably, uh, I'm not really a, a huge, um, a huge fiction reader. 
Well, we can, we, how about a uh, female author then? I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking, I was, as you were saying it, I was looking through my Kindle <laughs> who I really, really, really love. You know, I, and she's not, she's not alive anymore. I love Debbie Ford. She wrote the book called The Shadow Effect, and she wrote a book called My Best Life Ever. And uh, I, I love her books. Um, you know, she's, uh, she's a good, good author. Um, and I love the work that Byron Katie does. She, she wrote a book called Loving What Is. And mm. uh, yeah, so I tend to be like a, one of those uh, spiritual readers type of thing. So it, okay. it's a little, um, a little bit different. Yeah. I'm going to try and do this like John does on the the <laughs> regular social social hour podcast. So when you are not watching Girls Trip or listening to Aretha Franklin or reading books like My Best Life Ever or Loving What Is, what do you like to do outside of work? I'm usually in Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I have a whole fan club in Home Depot, an entire fan club. Oh, awesome. People, they're like, hey, Margaret, how are you? I'm in the paint department. I am a regular DIY, do-it-yourself weekend, schlepping to Home Depot, <laughs> getting all kinds of stuff, coming back, planting an orchid garden. And so my obsession right now, which is an obsession, is succulents. Have you heard of succulents? Yes. Oh, they're fantastic. <laughs> because if, if like me and you don't have a green thumb, that you can't really kill them and they're beautiful. Yeah. Exactly. So I went out last week, last Saturday, and I bought these cactus succulents. And I have a ginormous globe that's about 20 inches around. Because it's big, a really large one. And I'm going to mm -hmm. make multi-layered sand garden with rocks and a little stairs oh. and stuff with the succulent garden. So I have um, Pinterest pictures and, um, you know, and uh, house pictures. So I'm a Pinterest house person. And mm -hmm. I Home Depot nuts. Oh, fun. So that fun, is fun. Me, uh, every weekend almost I am in Home Depot. <laughs> I'm not painting something. I'm not this. And, you know, I'm doing some other thing. Or I'm, a couple weekends ago, I was getting floors redone in my um, guest bedrooms. I'm always doing something in Home Depot or Lowe's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we'll have to see if they can help sponsor this uh, episode of the podcast hey. then. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. But that is my favorite place in the world. I am in one of those two stores every weekend. I love it. I love it. It's awesome. Yeah. But you oh. wouldn't imagine me in um, shorts and t-shirt and having my shovel <laughs> dirt outside my little country. I have a, one of those big brim hats that you put on and you look like you're, yeah. and I'm out there in the yard and I'm doing stuff. So that's my, that's my fun. I love it. Well, Margaret, you have survived the question connection. Yay! You did Yay. it. This was so awesome. I so appreciate you coming on. Um, so this is the part of the show where you can um, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you or follow you or um, yeah. you know, reach out to you, how you sure. want them to find you. So I am very social. I'm the social lady. So I am on LinkedIn as Margaret Spence. I'm on Twitter as Margaret Spence. Um, I am on Instagram, Margaret Spence CEO, because I let my name go and someone else took it. Ah. Um, <laughs> and I'm also on Facebook, Margaret Spence, and the employeetoceoproject.com is the website. Okay. And my email is super easy. Um, it's margaret at margaretspence.com. And I return phone calls. I love 
um, helping women really succeed. And one of the things that I said to the group that I spoke for was, I'm here to help you. If you have a problem with your career, don't hesitate. Don't feel that you can't reach out to me. I really want to be able to empower women to own their place and their executive desires. Wonderful. And we will put all of that in the show notes and share it out through all of our social media handles as well. So we appreciate yeah. that. How about you, Anne? How can people find you? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn at Anne Tompkinson, and you can find me on Twitter at Anne Tonk, A-N-N-E-T-O-N-K. I blog, I guess now I have to say I blog occasionally because it's been a minute, but I blog at <laughs> HR Underground at WordPress. And I also have a personal blog called The Road Less Pedaled, also a WordPress blog. Um, if you want to read about my uncomfortable spiritual journey this year, you could probably also find me on Facebook at Ann Tompkinson. Wonderful. Best way to find me is on Twitter. I connect with everybody there. I am Wendell93. You can join me on my blog, mydailyjourney.com. Daily is D as in dog, A-I-L-E-Y. Um, I will connect with people on LinkedIn as well. So happy to connect um, there or even on Instagram. You'll find me there. Don't forget the HR Social Hour Twitter chat, fourth Sunday of each month, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Hope you'll join us there. Um, and find more podcasts out there, the HR Social Hour. We are on Podbean and uh, all sorts of others. Uh, pull up your favorite podcast listening device and search for the HR Social Hour. You will find us. I guarantee it. Again, Margaret, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And Anne, thank you for being my co-host. I hope you had fun too. I had so much fun. Thank you for inviting me to do this. So we'll find some more guests. We'll, uh, we'll have some more of these series. And uh, we'll see you all next time on the HR Social Hour. Have Yay. a great night. <laughs>